This episode is sponsored by ProVital Solutions. Don't go down one path because that's not great. You know what? I think it's so easy for people in our culture to go down that one path that the minute some semblance of freedom happens, you almost go nuts. Like, oh my God, like the world is your oyster almost becomes like overwhelming and you don't know what to do with it. So you just lash out. And that's when, and that's when things can happen and good or bad you know for some rebelling was good for me for some it goes the exact opposite and it's just mental health issues and just just depression and just like what was i doing these last 18 years so you end up questioning yourself i'm megan armstrong welcome to life six feet above Six Feet Above was created when I started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be six feet under to now living a life full and happy six feet above. The more that I started to talk about my journey, my struggles and my past, the more I realized people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I'd feared for so long. In fact, other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason they trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories, finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I want to let you know it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. This is Jonathan's story. Well, hello, Mr. Jonathan. Hello. I'm so excited to interview you. As I am you just too. said, you're like you're my you're you're my second Asian of the season. That's right. <laughs> Which, That's right. Holding it down. I feel, I feel like I need to lead with that because obviously no one can see us. Yeah. But you just listened to Chris's story. I just listened to Chris's story on the way home. And he's from Seoul, Korea. Yeah. And where are you from? My family is from Taipei, Taiwan. Okay. And but you were born and raised. I was here, born right? in the Bay Area. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How'd you end up in Atlanta? Um. I needed a dance partner. Got it. Which we'll dive into that. Yes. Okay. So Jonathan and I met Jonathan Chen. We met, I don't know, probably two or three, two, three years, years ago. ago. Probably. Yeah. Um, you walked into Sculpt House yep. and you're like, I'm in the fitness industry as well. I teach at Orange Theory, coach at Orange Theory. Um, and I'm like, perfect. Come on in. Like, let's, let's test this out because I always, I think a lot of people are like, aren't different fitness studios like competition? And I'm like, yes and no. Yeah, We're all sure. in the same industry we're all trying to make people's lives better right so for me i don't see that as competition no and i think we're we also all want to know about each other because i think we all we all learn like i learned listening to you coach and i learned even though we didn't really do the same thing right there are still things that i picked up on what how you cued certain movements that i was like oh no that makes sense right and maybe i should use that right or like i always try to take even when i took other people's orange theory classes, you always learn something. Right. Because you're always listening. Like to a certain degree, we're all kind of aware of one another, whether yeah. we want to be or not. Yeah. Yeah. And then we we kind of pick up on things. And I think that's important to kind of grow as a, a fitness professional. You have to learn from each other. Yes. Or you're like, wait, I love that song. That's a badass song. Can exactly. I get that? <laughs> exactly. Oh, for sure. I still play this all the time. Yeah. So you teach at Orange Theory now. You coach. I do. Yeah. And you teach at the Emory one. And what's the other one now you're going back and forth with? I will now be going back and forth between Emory Point and the new one in Shambly. Okay. And you teach like 20 classes a week? 20 classes a week. Gosh, that's so much. Yeah. That's a lot. At one point I was doing 20. Last year, 
I didn't have a staff. And so I was running 26, 27. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just a lot of energy. I don't think people that have never taught fitness before, I don't think they realize how incredibly exhausting it is. Oh, yeah. And something like Orange Theory, it's very high energy. So you've got, you know, for people that don't know, you've got your weighted portion, which they call it with the floor. And then you've got your treads, but you've also got rowers. Yes. So you're not only are you guiding people through exercises, but with that sort of high energy and and cardio components of rowing and treadmills, it's really loud in there and there's a lot going on. So you have to like... You have to match that energy and then take it up a notch. Yeah. Yeah. You, and you like, definitely feed from, you definitely find yourself, I think I'm sure you've experienced too, where you feed from whoever's in the room. And yeah. so if they're kind of giving it, you kind of feel like you have to give more. Right. And then you're just constantly giving and sometimes, and you draw from them. So if they give you some back, you kind of even out pretty yep. well. But if like a group of people isn't giving you anything, uh-huh. you're kind of like, Okay. Yeah, you have to make up for it. Oh God, you have to. (laughs) You're putting on a show. Let's be honest. We're putting on shows. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You step out on stage. (laughs) Yeah. I when I when I coach coaches, I'm like, you. The minute you walk in the door, you're on stage. Exactly. So you got to treat it like you're. I remember. I remember uh, when we were training at Sculpt House, and I was working with a couple of the new girls that had never taught fitness before. Oh man. My friend Brady, who actually I found her at Orange Theory. Yeah. Um, she came and taught for us. She she's like, Can I help you with this one girl? I'm like, Yes, absolutely. And she took her aside and was like, You're gonna need to find your inner Sasha Fierce. You know, like Beyonce yeah. is not Beyonce when oh, she right. steps on stage. Oh, for sure. She is Sasha. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's such a great analogy. Yeah. Well, and I I think I tell I think I tell the people that I work with, you're either a heightened version of yourself, yeah. which is great. Right. Or you flip a switch and you're a different person. Correct. And you can be none of neither is wrong or right. Right. But you need to be one of the two. Yes. What works best for you. Yeah. And I'm lucky that I'm just a heightened version of myself. Yeah. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) So you know me. You you have listened to. You just told me that you binged uh, a bunch of the podcasts. Oh yeah. And I guess you know I like to dive into where everyone's from. How are they raised? Yeah. Before we do that. What was it that, you know, because I I think I tend to get a lot more feedback from females. I know Mm -hmm. that guys listen and I'm glad that they're listening. But when you actually sent me a message and supported me in season one, it was just nice to know that like you listen and you're like, hey, if you ever need somebody, I'm like, okay, you must have a story. Like, let's let's talk about this at some point. But what was it about this show that that kind of drew you in? It was different than the other ones that I was listening to at the time and it was it was it puts it put life into perspective Mm -hmm. I think it's one I think there's a lot of podcasts out there which are fantastic that focus on a specific niche Mm -hmm. right like you have like like I listen to like my fitness ones and I listen to my like my sports ones and I listen to my my pop culture ones but this one was different for me in that it wasn't necessarily about improving yourself it was just listening yeah and I feel like it was refreshing just to listen yeah. to someone tell their story and to listen to someone go through their struggles in life and figure out how they came out on the other side. And I think that in itself was inspiring, not because we need to be inspired by someone else's negative experiences, right. but because the act of talking through it, like you feel like you're like, it makes you think about, oh, okay, well, they went through this. I didn't go through that, but we might have felt similarly about Right. Different moments in life. And I thought that was really, really cool. And it wasn't, I don't think 
we're going out there like trying to like change people's mm-hmm. lives but i think just the share act of sharing yeah and it was just and it was broad i like that there was different you know like each it was thematically different every episode and yeah. everyone had their own story or their own struggle and that's what made it unique that's huge for me i always like to you know i i like to hear from other people like why are why are you listening like why do you like i know why i'm doing it and i know what my goal is so that's reassuring to hear that you know that's all being validated so i appreciate your support absolutely i I love it appreciate you reaching out and um so you're born and raised in the bay area yes and tell me about life growing up tell me about your family yeah siblings what your parents do what kind of socioeconomic yeah i was i was one of two kids i'm the older one okay my little sister's two years younger um and parents my mom was a stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. my dad was a civil engineer in taiwan and then he also did some stuff he early retired but then he went back into the workforce um when his friend needed help with the new bay bridge that they put up oh, several wow. years ago so my dad was doing that um he was doing like kind of stocks on the stuff on the side um and so we grew up we grew up, we grew up well i yeah. mean i grew up very lucky and i grew up very privileged and yeah. i grew up with a lot of support for everything that we wanted to do or was perceived that we should do right um so I, we got a lot of support there um we we from for me second grade onwards i was always in private school mm. Um, initially we did it for my sister, but then it just didn't make sense to put two kids in two separate schools at right, the time right. when we were in the same grade bracket. Yeah. Right? We were both in elementary school. Why split them up? Right. So, um, we both moved to schools together and then that caused just a chain reaction of, we ended up, we ended up in the same school the entire way through mm-hmm. until we both left for college. Okay. So then I went to college in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh-huh. I went to McAllister college, tiny little school. My sister followed suit in vermont with another tiny college really yeah that's a big move oh yeah oh yeah i liked it and and i went to her graduation and seriously megan it's like you (laughs) went to school in the enchanted forest well vermont is very close to where i grew up yeah it's it's beautiful and it literally she went to middlebury okay and it was literally like the enchanted forest yeah yeah I was like, wow, where am I? I was like, this is great. I don't know what, what's going on. It kind of makes you feel like there's like the world doesn't really exist, which I thought was great. Yeah. And I think she needed, like, I think she made the right choice, but I think the only reason she was able to go to a smaller school, like a liberal arts college Mm -hmm. was because I did. Mm -hmm. So I kind of set the standard for a lot of things. And then my sister, unfortunately was kind of forced into what I did. Yeah. And then when she started doing her own thing, I pivoted and then started doing what she was doing. Interesting. And so we were always kind of like, people always knew the two of us were pretty much not together, but like mm-hmm. they would like, oh yeah, no. Oh, so yeah, you guys are related. We know because like <laughs> one would follow the other one. Then I would follow her and we'd kind right. of like, she started to sing. So I started to sing. She played volleyball. So I started playing volleyball. Yeah. She, I played piano first. So she had to play. Right. Right. I, I had a second instrument. So now she had to pick up a second instrument. So was it very like growing up? Was it, you know, you were in all the sports, you were in all the, the. No, it music. was the opposite. I was, so we, we were focused pretty young. Mm-hmm. Maybe by our, I think by our own volition. So like when I was four and a half, I went to a friend's piano recital and I was like, I want to do this. Like play the piano. Play the piano. So when, starting at five, we started going. So I went from five and then competitively through I gra- my graduation oh, of wow, high school. Oh, wow, you competed? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So what was that like? 
It was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was super fun. I mean, I think and your parents supported you. Oh yeah. They, okay. and, and actually because of that, because I turned out to be pretty good, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't allowed to play any sport that used my hands. Really? Yeah. So don't ask me how I negotiated volleyball for two years. Cause I, <laughs> that was a hard negotiation, but I wasn't allowed to play even like middle school. Every boy was on the basketball team except for me. Cause I wasn't allowed to use my hands. Did you ever get picked on? Oh, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Cause I was like the one that was quieter, not quieter necessarily, but like, I'm not quiet, <laughs> but like, I was the one that like, didn't go to friends houses because I was practicing or I was studying or I was going to a competition right. 45 minutes away or, you know, so like weekends for me growing up were like, or no, my week was like piano lesson on Monday, cello on Tuesday, a day off on Wednesday, Boy Scouts on Thursday. Awana on Friday. Saturday was youth orchestra practice. Sunday was Chinese school. Oh my god! So I was like, I was, I was raised very stereotypically Chinese, Taiwanese. So very structured. Very structured. Huge, huge expectations. Absolutely. Do you think? Do you think they obviously came from your parents? But at some yeah. point, did you place them on yourself too? Oh, all the time. Yeah, all the time. I think I always thought I had to be X, Y, and Z because the bar, the bar kept getting pushed higher. Of well, you won this regional one. Mm-hmm. Now we got to win a bigger one. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, well, now we got to win the U.S. Open. Like, now, like, so, like, there was just always, like, a la- there was always an extra layer. And some of it was my parents doing their own research, but a lot of it was probably just the community that we grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, just There was just a lot of comparison, which okay. happens in an immigrant community when, like, everyone kind of immigrated from Taiwan. Everyone right. kind of, they all found each other through church or wherever they found each other. And all the kids were about the same age. And right. so basically it just turned into just a comparison fest from the get-go. So like when a cu- one that was a couple years older went to this school, it was like, all right, well, she's at that school. So my kid has to go to that school or greater or equal to or... Do you think that's because growing up in an in immigrant culture, like you have to... It's almost like you have to one up everybody because you already have to do that just living in america yes right i think so and because all of us the kids my age that we when we grew up we were all first generation Mm. american born okay so to a certain degree we were markers of success for our parents like you had to prove yourself right and also prove that our parents were good parents and that they made the right choice to come to the u.s for us so you couldn't be a failure i couldn't no no yeah. failure was an option yeah. like like we always say that people like strive for perfection right. oh perfection was expected yeah it was like it was a or bust a minus or <laughs> asian f existed oh yeah like my that, first my, thing? oh my first b who rough that <laughs> oh, no. was rough it's a rough two days what what subject was that in let's just go there I know science. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, no. Are you ready for this? It's fifth grade. Meteorology? Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, yeah. It was like a, it was like a, like a, it was like the teacher's like passion project. So oh, like she gosh. made us do that. And yeah, no, meteorology, like my wind diagram wasn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> did that ever affect you? And we'll get into the, the mental health stuff. Yeah. But did that affect you growing up looking back? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, I don't think I perceived it to be stress. Mm-hmm. I think because it was so normalized. Because it was the way it was. Right. It was just like you you go and whatever you want to do 
is fine. I'll support you, but you better damn be the best at it. You know, so it was, it was a double-edged sort of like, I kind of could pick what I wanted to do, which a lot of kids in my situation weren't allowed to. Right. It was like pre predestination. Like, this is what you're doing. You're going down this path. I had choice, which was cool, which is great. Um, but it was like, okay, so you can choose what you want to do, but if we pay a penny for it, you better make it worth it. And and if you're not good enough, then we're going to find something we're, else. We're against time to pull the plug after yeah. a year and a half, you know? So like I wanted to swim, mm. found out I was technically pretty good at it, but mm-hmm. I was just a small kid. Yeah. So I wasn't very fast. And after two years, they were like, mm. even if you enjoyed it. Yeah. It was like, mm, maybe not. Maybe we pivot to something else. And so we tried, they decided that it was time to pick up a second instrument. So I picked up a second instrument. Uh-huh. Um, made it to a pretty good youth orchestra. There's three in the Bay Area. I, I technically got into number three, if right. you will. But it was still a good one. Yeah. Um, in Ber- I got into Berkeley Youth Orchestra in like th- fourth chair. So I wasn't even that bad. This is the cello. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then after a year, after a little bit, it was like, all right, it's time to pick an instrument. It's time to go back down to one. Like mm. we got what we needed to do to teach you how to play with other people. Let's go back to the solo stuff because you're more successful there. Yeah. Like that's what we want to put on a college app. Were, were your parents upset that you went to a smaller liberal arts school? Oh, had... absolutely. So how did that decision come about for you? That was a battle. So that was a battle. So when I applied, including every University of California, which technically is one application, right. but we'll call it four. <laughs> I applied to 25 schools. Wow. And I threw out the grab bag like no big like no one's business. Yeah. Every region of the US had at least one app. Yeah. Um like you didn't know where you wanted to no, go. No, I didn't know. Physically. I had an I think I had an idea, but I don't know if the idea was what I thought I had to mm. do of the expectation of me or if I truly wanted to go. Right. Like what would have been my top choice, I got to my college visit and I was like, something about this place feels a little weird. And I don't know what it is, but it just doesn't feel good for me. Where was that? Georgetown. Okay. And and I applied for the School of Foreign Service, which is their most competitive program. Ended up getting waitlisted, mm-hmm. which was a big blow to my, particularly my mom's ego mm-hmm. of like, you almost got in like it's better that it's better to just get rejected and be like all right we weren't good enough but it was like you were good enough to like all like people look inside like that was a big blow to them um i knew that i didn't want to go to an ivy league because i just knew i probably wouldn't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. but i didn't i did apply to two for them yeah because we got in this big argument and I was like, hey, if I got into this Ivy League, I don't think I would go. My mom didn't talk to me for like three days. Really? Yeah. She was, I was like, if I get into Cornell, I don't know if I want to go. That's my hometown, basically. Yeah. 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 And she was like, mm. Really? Yeah. So it was a fight. I got, I got in on admitted students weekend and I was like, I walked on campus and it happened to be the week after like a big snowstorm, but mm. everything had melted. <laughs> so like, it was like the perfect situation because if I had gone to the weekend before, uh-huh. it would be snowing. Got it. So like the weather was perfect. Everyone was out and about and it just felt super comfortable. Like yeah. it's a small school in a city. So we're in St. Paul proper, right. not outside. Okay. We're in St. Paul. We're like five minutes across the bridge to Minneapolis. Nice. So we're in a city. So we yeah. get the city vibe, but it's like, it's it's still in like a residential part of uh-huh. the area. It's as if you plopped a university in like Chastain Park. Got it. So super residential, super nice. Yeah. What um, kind of culture? 
Um, it was the school was school's very diverse. It prided okay. itself on diversity. Um, it prided itself on Kofi Annan uh-huh. graduated from our school. Okay. Former secretary general of the UN. Right. Um, and a lot of international students, 75% of all juniors go abroad. Like it was a very like international. Okay. So you never felt excluded. No, no, not at all. It was, it was, I mean, it was, it was kind of like a dirty hippie school, Mm. but like a clean, dirty hippie school. (laughs) Like it was one of those places. And I just felt super comfortable there. The people were super cool. I never really had issues. I found my friends really fast. We stayed friends slash roommates for all four years. Like I found my group real quick and they almost forced you together. Yeah. And anyone who lived together during their first year course stayed together pretty much. Like we all kind of like either we're roommates together or next to each other or above one another. Right. In apartments. Like we all kind of stuck together. Yeah. And you could tell like, Oh, you got the same first year course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's probably yeah. why. <laughs> that's why. Yeah. So it was, it was a McAllister college. Great school. Underrated. Yeah. But great school. Yeah. Not known for sports, which is kind of sad, but, but you played piano and cello there. Or what'd no, you do? I just, um, so I, another reason I chose to go there was because the debate coach actively was recruiting me. Huh? So your grades were good, obviously. Yeah, my grades are pretty good. I was a call high school debater for one of the top programs in the country. I was not the A or the B team. I was maybe the D team. Mm-hmm. But like we we were successful. Like we did well relative to our peers who were mm-hmm. just did better. But mm-hmm. um I was recruited by a couple schools with big debate programs over the course of this process. Yeah. Um, McAllister obviously didn't have scholarship money, but the debate coach was actively seeking to keep the program going and they were like we see you like watch you on our team. Yeah, yeah. Come here. Like this is about what the work would be. It's a small team, not like Harvard. That's like a giant team right, of like right. 27 or 30, but they're like, you're going to get travel time. We can pretty much travel you whenever we want. We already kind of know who you're going to get partnered with. Yeah. So like that added to the decision too, was like, Oh, I get to keep debating and being kind of a, a environment that I feel really comfortable. So I ended up debating there. I was on the dance t- hip hop team and I was just, I played club volleyball. So I did like three th- big things. There. Yeah. And that's about it. So where did the dance start? Let's, let's yeah. dive into that. Um, Wasn't uh, allowed to dance when I was little. Like your parents just said, no, you can't. Yeah. Why did you want, like, do you remember, did you like see something on TV or yeah, like, what, I, what were you I drawn I think part to? of it because my, my sister did it. Okay. And so I was like, and I watched all of her recitals and I was yeah. like, I like, I was a hyperactive child. Let's call it for what it is. I was bouncing off the walls. And so I thought it would be kind of fun. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm good at music. I move a lot. This should be a natural marriage. <laughs> um, but my parents were like, no. like Why? Because that's not what Taiwanese boys did. Mm. So I was like, okay. So I so I watched dance shows on mm-hmm. TV. And it was like Dancing with the Stars, So You Think You Dance. I watched all of them. Because I was like, well, you know what? If I can't do it, I'm going to watch it. And they let you watch it. They let me watch it, yeah. which is great. Um, And so in our freshman Facebook group the captain of the hip hop dance team put out this ad that was like, so you think you dance, which obviously caught my eye. Right. And they're like hip hop team tryouts. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) So I didn't think much of it, but then a girl in my first year course, and we were good friends still to this day. She was like, Hey, I was going to try She's a dancer. Okay. I was just like, I'm going to try out. Do you want to just come and worst case scenario? It'll just be like a super fun evening. Right. We'll just, it'll just be a fun thing we do in like September in school. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, no, that's fine. We'll do it. Made the team. Don't know how I did that made the team because they were also looking for guys. And you've never taken any like no. classes or any Mm-mm. instructional stuff no, before? never. Wow. So I I did that and I started doing that freshman year, but I always was interested in doing ballroom. 
there's a ballroom studio and but there were no ballroom studios in california that were anywhere remotely close to me mm. like we were a good 45 minutes out of san francisco and that's where all the studios were right so i was like well i'm not gonna drive there for a ballroom lesson my, right. how am i gonna justify that to my parents right. the ballroom studio was literally kitty corner from my school like okay. you go to the field and then kitty corner across the street there's a ballroom studio so i was like all right well i can't use the excuse if i can't get there you can just walk there right and so for my birthday Christmas hybrid, my sophomore year, I asked for a 20 pack of lessons, which they were like, whatever, it's a hobby for you. It's fine. So at this point, they they were OK with it because you were already out of the house and you were in college and you're kind of on your own anyway. Right. And like, I was well, doing do we... I was doing I was I was on a path like mm-hmm. it was like, I mean, no one knew I would turn that into a career right anytime soon right so they just let me roll with it so they were like whatever it'll just be and i was like it'll just be a fun thing yeah you know i've talked about it for ages yeah you'll finally shut me up <laughs> and so they just let me do it and so i did it for a little bit and then um it was just fun yeah it just it was just a fun thing i did and then I, one thing led to another <laughs> yeah so let's just jump into that okay. because you know i introduce you from how i know you but yeah but in reality you are a ballroom dancer yes you are like that's how you i would identify right if someone were to ask you about me that's what you would start with um yeah i would use both that and a fitness coach yeah fitness professional but yeah i would i would I, it'd be one of my calling card things so at what point in your college career did you look in the mirror and you're like i'm actually really good at this I don't think I've ever felt that way. Mm. Um, when I was about to graduate, everyone had plans, mm-hmm. right? Like everyone was like, I'm going through this scholarship right. or I applied for this, you know, this fellowship. And, yeah. and we're talking like the Truman, the Carnegie, the Fulbright. And I was like, and so I had applied for all of them as well. Like I applied, I did everything I thought I had to do because all my friends were like, yeah. I didn't, the only thing I didn't do was like teach for America, okay. but like I applied for everything else. So I was like, I applied for a Fulbright to Australia where I studied abroad. Right. Didn't make it past the interview, which I thought maybe I would. I was like, if I get past the interview, I might have a good shot. Right. Carnegie Fellowship of International Policy applied for the nuclear policy program. Didn't even make it to the interview. <laughs> I was like, if I can get to the interview, I think I can do it. Mm. Didn't even get get the chance to interview. Andover, the Phillips Andover Teaching Fellowship. Mm-hmm. They didn't even bother calling me to tell me no. So like at that point, I was like, okay, well, three strikes. Right. <laughs> Don't know what I'm going to do. Were, were I, you, did you tell your parents every time like yeah. it didn't work? Yeah. Was that hard? Yeah. Knowing that they probably expect you to. Yeah. And, you know, my mom went at one point saw the list of people. We saw the list of who got accepted into the Carnegie Fellowship, which is, I think, what I wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone went to like a big name school. Yeah. And so, of course, my mom was like, well, you went to a small one. Well, should have should have done that. Exactly. Oh. And so and because they they initially wanted me to transfer back to Georgetown myself for my sophomore year. And I was really happy at McAllister. I was like, yeah. I don't want to transfer. But my mom kept harping on it. So. Again, because I got waitlisted. Right. You didn't get in this time. Right. There's always going to be a chance someone backs out. Right. Um, so I filled out the paperwork and everything. And I left it before I left for winter break. And I went back to school. And I left it on the counter. And I said, I'm not going to send it, but you can. I filled it out like you wanted me to. Mm. Here it is. You can choose to send it. And she ended up not sending it. Why? I think she got the point. Okay. Okay. She got the point that I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And I think her trying to tell me what to do was only going to make me go the exact opposite. Right. So she right. was like, I'm not even going to bother waste my time, try to get you interviews or anything. Yeah. Um. So when nothing happened, I was like, all right, well, you know what? I was debate coaching around the city. Mm-hmm. I knew I could still do that. Yeah. I had a job at a bubble tea store. 
just sling bubble it. tea st- what oh. does that mean oh so you know like um what's the one honey bubble like the tapioca tea like oh the promo yeah, tea. yeah yeah oh yeah i worked for one of those okay. i was like oh I, i've slung tea for like seven years <laughs> um I was a barista, so I was like, all right, well, I can, like, make ends meet. I can make rent. That's fine. Um, And so I started looking for teaching jobs just on Craigslist. Um, And then I saw my own dance studio, and I was like, oh, they never have a Craigslist. They always say they're looking, but they never actually have a Craigslist ad. So I called my kind of my practice partner at the time who also worked the front desk, Uh and I was like, what's what's going on she's like oh no they desperately need people like they're looking for teachers and so i was like well would they take me yeah she was like well you've been taking lessons with the owner so you kind of have a one-up on everybody else so i would just say try so i applied okay and they ended up canceling the training because they didn't want to keep anyone except for me and someone else another one of the owner students Uh, so they were like we're only we were only going to keep you two anyway right so we figured why waste our time with the training like you might as well just train you guys ourselves and then that way you don't have to waste any time because we don't want any of these other candidates right i'm like okay so i ended up doing that i was originally planning on just doing it for a year just to make money and yeah you know whatever figure out where to go yeah and then study for the gre and then um yeah one thing led to another um that conversation with my parents was great it was in the (laughs) basement of the dance department you're like not only did i not get any scholarships i'm now gonna go to ballroom dancing right and they were like my my dad was my dad's response was well as long as you have a roof over your head i'm like thanks dad appreciate it <laughs> my mom was like freaking out really? and so yeah so when i graduated we we went back to taiwan because i'm the oldest on my mom's side so it was okay. kind of one of those things where it's like i'm the first one to graduate i kind of got to go back and like present myself as the oldest of the family that's a thing like you I go mean, back and a you little like, bit yeah display? like play yeah like just like hey i'm the oldest one but i also hadn't been back in a while okay. but they also wanted to do it as a treat for me like yeah. They planned an excursion around the island, not just in Taipei, where we're from. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was like it was going to be a fun trip anyway. Okay. But also, like, to see the family, extended family that I don't normally normally know, right. who remember me from when I was little, and be like, "Look at him; he's all graduated." Right. Yada yada. But I was specifically told you are not to tell them what your job's going to be. Really? Yeah. They were like, "You tell them you're taking a year off to study for the GRE, so you can go to grad school." What? What? What is it about that culture that do you have to be an engineer or a doctor or a is lawyer? That just, yeah, like, I think I think you have because, to be a professional. Yeah, along those lines, I think it's because those are the people. Those professions are the ones that, for brain drain purposes, mm-hmm. get brought to the United States. Mm. So, like my dad went came to the United States to go to grad school to be an engineer. Got it. He got his undergrad in Taiwan, but like he he came to the U.S. to be an engineer, to be schooled in the U.S. system. So like a lot of people in Taiwan come to med school here. Yeah. A lot of people come. Yeah. You know, so I think just by default, it was like those are the only jobs you could have. And plus all my relatives who are older than me, my cousins stuff, followed that path. Like mm. one, one of them went to Harvard and graduated from Harvard Law School. The other one went to Stanford, graduated from Harvard Business School. One was a NASA engineer. One is the director of advertisement for BBC, like, and then there's like me, right? You know, so like, right. so I think it was the perception was in order to be successful based on previous examples, and then going back to people I grew up with, a lot of people that I grew up with also fell into those same right career paths. So I was the dark sheep, and we were like by de facto the dark sheep family because mm-hmm. I went so hard left. Like everybody knew about you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and my parents got a lot of crap for it. Yeah. Oh, do they still? Um, not anymore because I think my parents have chosen to dissociate from them. But yeah. literally, it was like, well, you sent your kids to private school. Mine's I sent mine to public, and look how right, they turned out. Right. Like literally, like my parents took a lot of shit. 
and it was it was heartbreaking for me to hear yeah that they were being mocked because they were like bad parents Mm. when really they gave me everything i needed if i told them tomorrow i want to go to law school they'd be like great let's throw down what do you want you know where where are we going like they would instantly throw down for me when in reality, like I, I, I would just make this assumption, probably a, a 90% of their friends have kids that are in a career that they absolutely hate, but they feel like they had to do it because that's what you do when you're Taiwanese. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So and there's this whole stigma. Oh, for sure. Mm. Yeah. Within the culture itself of like, right. this is what you're supposed to do. Anything else. It didn't even reflect on me. It reflected on them. And I think that's what hurt the most, mm-hmm. which was like, Oh, well, then your parents must have effed up. And I'm like, well, no, they didn't. They gave me everything I needed to succeed. They gave, they put me on every path they knew how to, mm-hmm. to get me to what they thought I needed. And I mean, they're slowly kind of coming around to it. Yeah. But, um. Because this is how many years ago? When did you graduate? 2011. Yeah. So this is It's not, been nine years. This is not new. No, it's not new. Yeah. But they're still obviously dealing with it. Oh, yeah. They have yet to tell me, after I graduated, I have not heard once that they're proud of me. Hmm which hurts absolutely but um but i mean but that it kills me and it motivates me to do better so and i guess that's what i'm trying to understand because i see you as you know doing something that you really enjoy and that you're really happy but also at the same time being torn because you know it doesn't make your parents happy yeah right and like how we we all want to make our parents proud and, and happy but we also are like, well, this is my life too. I don't yeah. want to just do what they want me to do just for them. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like, where does that, you know, for you, that's a, that's a huge leap to take mm-hmm. and say, you know what? My life matters too. Yeah. And I don't want to do this just because this is what my parents expect or right. want. Yeah. So how much did you struggle with, uh, you know, saying like, I'm going to take this leap as a ballroom dancer and how did it develop? So you, so you got the job as a teacher, yep. but then you obviously had to develop more so because Correct. you were in the international ballroom dancing arena. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to, I had to play a lot of catch up obviously uh-huh. because I started dancing. I only started dancing really in 2008. Okay. So it's, I'm a kind of a late bloomer yeah. relative to my peers who I compete against sure. who are from Russia, who have been dancing since they were five. Yeah. Um, so I had to make up like a pretty much like a 19 year old, like a 15 to 16 your gap right, of right. experience. So I just like when you first started that studio and I was working for someone, I wasn't working independently. I was mm-hmm. working for someone and obviously I didn't ever have very much business. So I just was studying, practicing, studying, practicing, yeah. studying, practicing, um, figuring out what I wanted to do, what style I wanted to dance in. Um, finally figured out my style. And then I was like, all right, cool. Well now I need a partner. Right. Luckily, one of the other teachers and her partner had just broken up. She decided she wanted to get back to dancing, and we happened to be really good friends. So she was like, "Well, why don't we just give it a shot?" Yeah. So I ended, I was with that partner for a good almost three years, I think. Okay. And we comp- and competing around the U.S. Um, we did well. We won several events. We were national semifinalists. We were national sil- silver medalists in the professional mambo championship. So we did really well together. Wow. Um, and then she decided she. She was raised in a ballroom family, and mm-hmm. I, so I think she just burned out, mm-hmm. which happens when you're raised in the industry. Yeah, and I think she was just like, "I'm." It's not fun I've anymore. I spent 25, 26 years of my life just in this industry, and I'm kind of over it. Yeah, and I was like, and it hurt a little bit because I, I thought we were onto something, um, but the results were getting a little bit meh. And I think because she was just like, "I just, I can't anymore." Yeah. In hindsight, talking to her, right? Because we right. can obviously we, we're still really good friends. I think that happens in any you know any type oh, of yeah. sport or instrument. Oh yeah, like you when burn your heart's out. not in it. Yeah, you burn out. And when you've been, when you were raised in the industry, watching yeah. your parents do it, 
it's even harder. Sure. So then that brought me to Atlanta. Okay. So I needed a new partner. Um, I found a girl here in Atlanta. Um, and then when the conversation came up of, well, who's moving? Typically mm-hmm. the girl moves. Really? In our, in our industry, very typically the girl moves. Because our clientele is primarily female, uh-huh. men, male teachers are typically more booked. So okay. male teachers are more in demand. So in theory, we can bring a girl to us because if we have a client base, in theory, they could teach our client base as well. So essentially, I have more business to offer you than you have to offer me. Got it. So from a financial perspective. Um, but in this particular case, I chose to take the leap because... I was like, you know what? I think I'm done working for someone. Mm-hmm. I want to be an independent. Let's see if I'm as good as people say that I am. Right. And so I just picked up and moved. So how did that conversation go? With um, your parents. <laughs> I think they knew I wanted to keep on dancing. I think to a certain degree, my parents were hoping that I was going to give it up and right. be like, "Great, let's go back. Let's take the test." Yep. Because when I moved down here, I the was is so you never, GR, you I never, never took, took it. it. Never took it. Um, still have the book from that year. Don't have it. Don't, didn't take it. Um, that, so yeah, that was 2015. So I would have done it for like four and a half years. So I think they were like, all right, well, we think it's, I think it's over. Yeah. And then I told them I wanted to move here. And I think at that point, my dad knew there was no going back with me. Mm -hmm. My dad was like, why bother? I think my mom just had a sliver of hope. Yeah. And she still reminds me to this day, Hey, grad school is just a test away. And I'm like, it's not okay. <laughs> okay, mom. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you want. Don't want to. Okay. But like, she'll literally remind me like almost every conversation, keep your options open. Oh and I'm like, like gosh. graduate school? Yeah. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Um. So like she, that happened. So then I moved down here and then was with this partner for two and a half years. This is 2015? Yeah. Okay. Got dumped. That's like a thing. Is that like a term? Oh, it's ba- yeah. Par- dance partnerships are basically a marriage. Really? Oh yeah. Because we we li- we we lived together our yeah. first year. Just share cost. Um, we taught at the same studio. Um, and yeah, and and then I found my current partner in twenty. 17, 2018. I found her. But like somebody actually dumped somebody. Oh yeah. Wow. Sometimes it's a mutual decision. Yeah. Where you're like, this isn't working. Right. Yeah. But in some not, cases, it's not you, it's me. No, exactly. <laughs> but in some cases, literally she, she was like, things just aren't working. We aren't placing as well. Mm. And it's true. Our results that year were not like the previous, we were like cleaning house. I think this, this is year. right about the time I met you. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I remember so. you're like, Oh, I, I've got to find a new partner. Yeah. Like, this is when we met because yes. I was just in a, a weird place yeah. because we were doing so well. Like, we kind of came out of the gate swinging, like, because people kind of knew who I was. No one knew who she was. Mm. And so there was the shock factor of being the new couple that no one knew about. That, like, kind of gets you looked at a little bit more because they're like, who the hell are you? Right. And people, again, knew who I was because I traveled a lot. No one. She was kind of dormant for multiple years. So no one knew who she was. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone's like, who's Jonathan's new partner? Like, so we kind of had that going for us. Okay. But then eventually we're not the flavor of the week anymore. Right. And so, you know... And people were viewing us as not progressing or whatever. And we, the chemistry, th- a lot of things weren't working. Right. But like I was, my fault, I think in these partnerships, I just stayed loyal for as long as I can. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I could have looked for a new partner. I thought about it. Squashed those thoughts because I was like, no, I got to stick it out. That's right. why I moved down here. I got to stay true to this partnership. We got to work it out till kingdom come. And she right. was just like, it's not working. I think we need to reset. Turns out she was telling everybody that she was way better than me, that she thought the reason why we weren't doing well was because of me. Mm. 
And she thought she'd get a partner instantly. That was better than me. She's not dancing right now. <laughs> but but that's spoiler what happened. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. But that, And that's what happened. <laughs> but, but then I found a new partner who happens to live in Nashville. But we had been friends way back when, from when okay. I was still in Minnesota. And we were friends. And the two of us were both dumped by partners who thought the same thing. Right. And the two of us were just kind of like... We both considered retiring and then we both had a chat that was just like, you know what? We don't want to let someone else end her career for us. So the chem and a lot of people were like, she's all, she's half Asian. She's half Vietnamese. So like a lot of people were like, the look is really good. Mm. You're a good height for one another. You both have this kind of exotic look that not very, you know, you're one of two Asian couples on the floor right now. They're like, you would stand out to a certain degree. And they were like, and the chem, like we can see this chemistry working. Right. So we gave it a go and we're, we're still together. So that so it's been a couple of years now. Been, yeah, two and a half years. But she's in Nashville. She's in Nashville. So how come one of y'all aren't moving? Um, she had a very. She's married with a house. Oh, okay. um, and okay. a, an established client base. Got it. And I have an established job. And it's and, close enough; you can travel. Right. It wasn't like you know I had tried out with a girl in New Jersey. That was going to be interesting. <laughs> um, but like it, it turned out like. I knew I wanted someone who was well established in their community. So I expected to commute. Yeah. Cause I was like the type of person that I want isn't just a brand new fresh girl who just is looking to make it big. I want someone who's been gritting in the industry for a right, while. And right. I found her. Okay. So how often do you go? Um, right now we were, we basically every other week we swap who goes where. Got it. Got it. Right now with everything going on, I'm the one going up every okay. other week. Okay. Which is, it's a, it's a, it's a decent it's, drive. It's three and I mean, a half hours. It's, it's not bad. It's actually really pretty. Oh yeah, and I'm used to it by now. I yeah. know where all my stops are. Like right. I'm like right. I'm used to that drive right. by now. Hey guys, it's Megan. I'm excited to introduce you to our new sponsor, ProVital Solutions. ProVital is a wellness solutions company that I'm proud to partner with to bring you this episode of Six Feet Above. They are passionate about health, wellness, and community. Their first two product lines are the purest, highest quality hemp oil supplement products on the market. I'm a fan of the PVS team and I've been using the Pro Vital Full Spectrum Oil and the Pro Vital Performance Gummies for the past few weeks. Pro Vital Solution products are quickly becoming the preferred choice of athletes, health and wellness advocates, and even active octogenarians. In fact, the PGA has approved the Pro Vital Performance product line, and PGA rookie Matt Neesmith is a part of the PVS team. Please visit ProVitalSolutions.com to read more about this wonderful company and use the code Six Feet Above at checkout to get 5% off on all products you purchase. So, at what point, and we'll get back to the, the ballroom dancing stuff. Um, but at what point did you get involved in fitness? Um, so I was, I was a member at the Buckhead Orange Theory. Okay. When I first got here, because I didn't have anything to do. Right. I had no clients. I was trying to work for myself, and my partner at the time had set me up with, you know, she taught a couple, so she mm. was like, "Well, I'll teach the guy," and they both want to compete. The female can't compete with me, so why not? Right. So she, they, she got that set up for me. She set up with me with a local studio where I could teach for them part-time, teach some lessons for them part-time. So I was like making some money, but I had nothing to do besides practice and teach these like three or four lessons a week. I was used to teaching 45 a week, you know? So I was like, all right, you know, like I'll just, whatever. I saw the Orange Theory. I had heard about it before because I, one of the top dancers in the country at the time, 
went and she mm-hmm. was posting about it all the time. I'm like, well, if Mandy's doing it, right, I should it's gotta do be it. decent, right? Like I, she's a champion, yeah. so I should probably do it. Um, so I did it. I was a member there, and then um, I didn't want to pay for it because I really couldn't. Yeah. So and I noticed they were shorthanded, and I also knew they used my body. So I literally walked up. I my walked up to the manager. I was like, I see you're shorthanded. And they're like, what? And I was like, I know how to use my body. They're like, wait, what? <laughs> so I started in sales. Really? Yeah. Like and working then the, at, the, at the desk, the, just working the desk yeah. um, for just for some income. Yeah. I would open four days a week so that I could be done by 10 so I can make it to practice by 11. Mm-hmm. And then I would teach my lessons in the evening. And then um, eventually the head coach the two main coaches at the time there were like, you need to, you need to coach. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't, I don't have a fitness background. I don't, I played volleyball, but that's about it. We didn't right. lift. Right. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and they're like, no, just trust us. Like, just, just give it a whirl. So then I, beca- I, at their behest and by behest, I mean, they literally forced me into it. Um, I became a coach. Yeah. And then that's what I've been doing. Well, the, the thing is, I think, and you know, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but when you're in a management position or a leadership position, you don't necessarily look for people that have all the experience in the right. world. You look for people that like the product, that are passionate about it. And for you, you had taught dancing. Yeah. So if you can teach someone how to do something, right. if I teach you how to teach it, then you can teach someone else. Right. Like if you can communicate well, right. it doesn't matter what you're coaching. You just have to learn it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Which I think that's a lot of people, a lot of people that kind of go into fitness start like you did they're like i don't want to pay for it right so they work the front desk or they right. do whatever but then yeah. they actually get really involved in it if they if they truly like it yes and and believe in it yeah and it worked it worked out it worked out for me so you're still able to do that while you're still pursuing mm-hmm. ballroom dancing yeah so what does that look like now <sighs> i don't even know if we're post no, we're, we're very much in covid but yeah we're out of quarantine like, during I don't even these know. times like Right now, during the unprecedented times, yeah. what has it looked like for you and being able to travel and continue dance? Like, I'm assuming yeah. everything's been put on hold. Yeah, so we're not competing right now. Um, a few events have run. The first pro event happened maybe two weeks ago in Minneapolis. Okay. okay. Um, and it was, for everything going on, a sizable field of pros showed up. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, some smaller Florida one day events are happening, but pros don't, we just compete with our students. We don't okay. compete professionally there. Got it. Um, cause they're not allowed to yet. Um, so right now we're, the landscape is wait to see what gets canceled and mm. what chooses to run and make your decision based off of that. Got it. Um, so we kind of made the decision when we first got back together to practice, which was only maybe a month, a month and a half ago, we were like, let's just not worry about it you know like we were like nationals was supposed to be in september Mm. it was recently announced it was canceled and this is back in we started practicing first week of june okay and we were like you know what let's just like wait let's not force ourselves to go to nationals let's not put that pressure on ourselves we're not we haven't touched each other in three months yeah we don't even know where our routines stand at this point Mm. so we were like well let's just wait and let's just not put the process let's just experiment keep practicing enjoy the process for what it is and not worry about competing and not have that external pressure yeah, on ourselves at yeah. all times. Um, and that's been nice. And so I think we made the decision that like, if the last event in Atlanta, which happens to be late October, if that goes to run, 
there's no reason not to do it. Mm-hmm. It's local. We're not flying. Right. Whatever. Um, nationals end up getting canceled, which we thought it would be. So we're not worried about that anymore. And I think right now, honestly, we're just like, you know what? 2021. Right. Let's just wait for that to happen. And we'll just, we'll start competing in 2021. I think everyone. I think everyone's looking forward to 2021. No matter what industry you're in, you're like, 2021 can't come soon enough. I know. It's going to be the year of us. I hope so. God. Seriously. So So what's your relationship like with your parents now? It is, it's kind of this unspoken thing. Mm -hmm. So they know, they accept what I do now. They accept and acknowledge that I work really hard because mm-hmm. I'm usually up before then I'm at home after they go to bed. Mm-hmm. So like they acknowledge that I work hard. I think my dad's the pragmatic one. Mm-hmm. So my dad's like, you're making money. You can put a roof over your head. You're feeding yourself. You have money to spend on fun things. Like, great. Mm-hmm. Like as long as you're happy and you're kind of just like able to live. Right. Go for it. Right. He doesn't really care. My mom, I think, is more just of... I think my mom views me as just like I'm wasting gifts that I have. And I think she thinks that I'm wasting the academic side of me that I have. Mm -hmm. That's pretty strong. I I mean, I graduated with a great GPA with Mm -hmm. an honors project and everything. So I think having all the accolades in the past, she was like... There was a part of that's like, why can't you max out what... I know your potential is. Right. So I know it comes from that place of, I feel like you could do more. Yeah. And she feels like I'm selling myself short. And she tells me that all the time. Like, I feel like you're limiting your options. I feel like you're limiting your options. And I was like, well, I don't think I'm limiting my options. I think there's just options that our culture hasn't embraced as options yet. Like, it's just not in in the vernacular of, oh, this is what someone of our ethnicity can do. Right. Which... It's cool that I get to be kind of like a little bit of a groundbreaker in that mm-hmm. regard, but I think it's it's other people haven't come around to that either, you right. know? So I think my mom is really representative of the Taiwanese-American community at large, which is just, we see this and we have these things that we need to do, and if you're not one of those things, we're not successful. Right. Or you're not worthy right. of whatever... We, we don't get anything, but like, right. but you're not worthy of, of pride and whatever, or you're not making the biggest salary or, mm-hmm. I mean, I make more than, I think I make more than some of my family members, you right. know, but like, but not in the same field. Exactly. And so it's, it's just hard to convince people. My cousins have, now my cousins who are obviously my age or a little bit older, they've, all of them are like we're jealous that you are clearly the happiest one right right now. Like you are clearly the happiest one living your life, you know, but then my, you know, but then all the other family members and I think my, my aunts and uncles recognize it too. Like they know that I'm doing well. And if you look at me on face value, like if you look at my, like if you look at just like baseline stuff, like of requirements, like I am doing well, Mm -hmm. but I think there's always a part of her that thinks that I'm wasting my ability Mm. in other fields. That I was that I was good at, yeah. And she thinks that, like you know, like I'm not using this side of my brain, and I'm just focusing on being artsy and you know things like. Are that. you able to compartmentalize that and know that she's coming from that place, or does it have an an effect on you? It does have an effect on me. It's um, I'm always doing more than I probably have to, um, just to prove her wrong. And like every time we step out on the floor. 
and we don't win, I'm split. Because on the one hand, I can look at what I did and really enjoy being out there Mm -hmm. and be like, that was a great time. Like, wow, we had a lot of fun. We put on a great show. We made people smile Mm -hmm. and we made people happy. And at the core of my why, that's what makes me happy. It's like when I can just make someone else happy. And I have that side of me. On the other hand, I'm kind of like, God, I have to tell my mom I didn't win. Mm. I made the final, but I got fifth. Like, yeah. good Lord. Like, what's she going to say? Like, so there's always a part of me that's like, Ugh, you know, I didn't quite make it, which is I, why sometimes I make some of these random decisions that I do. Like, you know, like if a promotion, like if a promotion came up, I would just take it mm-hmm. face value, not even think about it. Cause I was like, well, but at least it looks, like I have a better title. Right. You know, like originally I took the head coach position a month into being a coach because they just needed someone for right. Emory. Cause we didn't have one. And they were like, well, do you want it? And so without even thinking, I was like, yep. Cause then I could be like, look, and I don't know if it's, I want my mom to be able to say to her friends, mm-hmm. well, my son's a head coach. Right. He doesn't just work for someone. He runs the whole thing. Right. I knew he was always good at management. Look at him. He's managing now. Right. You know, so there's always that part of me that's like this. And even like when my mom shares, my mom has seen me win mm-hmm. in competitions before. And, you know, like she'll, she'll only share those. Mm. Look at my son. He won. Congratulations, Jonathan and Nadine. Right. Jonathan and Melissa right. for winning blah, 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 blah out of this many couples and blah, blah, blah. And they were national semifinalists out of this many couples. Like they were like, she'll only do that to show almost as like an F you to everyone who doubted her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm just bearing literally the pride of the family on my shoulders a lot yeah. of the times. Cause I am the older one. Yeah. And so more of more is expected out of me. My sister has a very different skill set than I do. And so I think to a certain degree, she's gotten a pass on some things because I've gone. So I took a, such a hard right turn. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, I can kind of do whatever I want. Cause they're just more concerned about you. I'm like, you're Thanks. welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. And so, so I, I do feel like I have like the pride of the family on my shoulders yeah. a lot of the time. And that like, if I don't succeed yeah. by being number one, not just be good, yeah. be number one, it's a failure. It's just a fail. Do you ever feel exhausted? Oh yeah. Like just yeah. mentally. Yeah. I mean it, I'm a naturally competitive person. And so to compete is kind of in my nature and to do it through an artistic means is kind of like the best case scenario for me really. Yeah. But, and so, you know, when we don't win, I get like pissed, you know, cause I'm like, Oh, we could have done better. Right. And, um, they've never beaten us before. You know, why now? And then we start, you know, thinking, what can I do better? But yeah. I feel like it's just co- the constant, like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. It, like it's, I have imposter syndrome most of the time mm. in both fields that I'm in. Cause it's like, well, I'm, and I think it's because I wasn't raised to be any of these things. Right. You inevitably have imposter syndrome. You don't really think you belong. There's always something about what I think I do that I'm like, mm, but is, but why am I really here? Right. You know, like, oh, well I'm a fitness trainer, but I'm smaller than most of the guys that work for the company. Like I'm just physically smaller. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Ooh, but you know, I don't look like a trainer. I don't know if they're going to not like me because Mm -hmm. of that. Like it's because I'm smaller. Are they going to judge me? And then, you know, as a dancer, I'm like, well, I haven't danced. I was little, like, are they going to think that I'm faking it? Like, should I even be here with everyone coming up? Who's been dancing since they were little? Like, is it my time to leave? Like you, you think that constantly, like, is it time? Is this the year that it's time to retire? Right. Because it's just not worth it anymore. You know, like, or because the charades up, right. You know, like, you weren't raised to be an Kick answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like yeah. you constantly think, 
Like I'm constantly planning retirement in dancing, even though I don't want to, mm-hmm. but you're constantly thinking about it. Cause you're like, at what point am I going to be the guy that's like, it's, it's time to, it's time to get out of it. Like it's time to call it right. Like at what point am I going to be that person? And despite what my coaches tell me, my sponsors tell me, they're like, oh my gosh, no, you can keep going. Like you still have so much ahead of you. There's always a party that's like, is there? Right. Is there, I can only fake it for so long. Do you feel like you doubt yourself because you've never been supported completely by your parents? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think. Because I keep hearing you say like, you know, I, I, I'm I'm happy at what I do and da, 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 but you're always preparing for it to end. Mm-hmm. So part of me wonders, like, if you had had that support yeah. of your, of your, you know, the people that are supposed to love you unconditionally. Yeah. It would probably be a different story. Yeah. It'd be a different narrative for sure. So how do you keep going and, and stay, for the most part, mentally healthy, knowing that this, it's like a, a push and pull. Like you've yeah. got this going on constantly in your head and you're like planning to retire from the careers that actually make you happy. But I feel like you haven't fully invested in it because you still have like this yeah weight on your shoulders of your parents and being raised in that culture that yeah you shouldn't be doing either of these things yeah right yeah i i've had to compartmentalizing is one thing mm-hmm. that does help um i think the other thing is at some point there are some days where i just don't care yeah. and those are the best days because yeah. you're like screw it i'm so happy my members make me happy my dance partner makes me happy I love being on the floor. I yeah. love expressing myself. Like there's days where I, I write, I don't journal a lot, but mm-hmm. there are days where I'm like, I literally, the, I've written the same entry multiple times. Yeah. I'm like, why are you doing this? Right. And then when I write out my list, I'm like, that's why mm-hmm. that that's why. Yeah. Like, that's why I do this. You know, like we had one of our best finishes out of nowhere the day after I wrote that. Mm. And it's, I think because I finally was like, this is why I'm doing this. Yeah. And this is why I'm happy. And I think, centering everything around you know the that why yeah that why of like why do you do this you know like and and making it less about something tangible and being like if you can make someone's day a little bit better right you had a good day yeah and kind of making it about other people like that's been helpful to me because we're both in the industry of just changing lives and making people feel better right. and, and making them improving their health and right, everything. Right. And when we see little increments of that, that really makes us feel good. Absolutely. You know, and I think yeah. that's not thinking about just the overarching, what's your position? Yeah. Is there a promotion? You know, what, where are you at in your career? Like of just being like, my job is to make these people's lives better. And I think I did that today. Mm. Or my job was to put on a damn good show. And I think I did that today. Right. Regardless right. of how we placed. Right. Like did someone smile? Yes. Did someone cheer for you that you don't even know? Great. We, right. did, we did something right. Like someone appreciates what you're doing yeah. on the floor. And even if it's not the best, it did the job. Mm-hmm. And so that is some stress relief for me. But as I, there are some days where I I can't like message my parents that often because we use Viber. Um, obviously, we don't we're not like chatting on the phone or anything or texting. Why is that obvious? I think... There are days where I, I just can't check in with them. And right. I think my parents, you know, given how times are right now and yeah. given that Taiwan's got the situation kind of under yeah. control yeah. and we don't. Um, they're constantly... 80% of the world has a situation under yeah. control and we don't. Exactly. <laughs> like they're checking in constantly. Right. And sometimes there are days where I just can't be bothered to reply. Because I'm like, yeah. you know what? If I start this conversation, 
you have to, I have to know how, when to nip it in the bud of like, mm. I think I know where this is going and I'm not even going to engage it yeah. because if I engage it, it's only going to make me miserable. Mm. So like when, when we, uh, all of us were closed for so long, right. Of course that's when the, right. Hey, maybe it's time to pivot. Right. Hey, you can go to grad school. Everyone's going to school now. We'll pay for it. Right. Hey, whatever you want to do, whatever school you want. You know, it can be whatever field you think you would mm. be successful in. Maybe management, maybe business. Like literally like she would come up with degrees that I don't even know exists. <laughs> but, but there are days where I just have to know. And some, I mean, it sucks that I have to like cut my parents out of right. my daily life. But right. there are days where I have to. Yeah. Because I just, I can't, I can't start the slippery slope of yeah self-doubt. And then I'm sick, like in this psych, caught in this cycle of just self-doubt, imposter syndrome. And then... I don't know what it, I've never gotten to the point where I've hit like rock bottom, mm-hmm. which is like, think I'm grateful that I've never done that because like someone's usually there to talk me out of it. Right. But like it, it gets exhausting. Yeah. It gets exhausting. And, and you, you, then you start, then you start like thinking like right. questioning, do I need to order the GRE book? Do I need to study for it and take it at last five years? I could mm-hmm. just take it and just have my options open. Right. But then you're, but then at that point I'm, I'm like, ending my own career mm-hmm. at that point because i've mentally checked out before i've even checked out right because i'm always going to look at that well the option's already there so maybe we should take it like right. you, you and i can't do that to myself because i think i could have transferred schools and i didn't and i have to like remember how resolved i felt about not transferring not, schools yeah because that could have been step one of uh, okay whatever you want a different path yeah like yeah. whatever you want mom let's all right cool if you want me to transfer i'll transfer if you think it'll be better for me do you think there's a part of you that will ever like i i feel like you're still very hopeful that she will support you mm-hmm. and and be proud of you at some point do you think there's ever a part of you that will let that go and just do it for you i don't know i don't think so yeah i don't i really don't know because i think i do it all for me now mm-hmm and then I think about it and know that I'm not, mm. you know, cause like what I, why would else would I try so hard? Right. You know, cause if I just enjoy dancing, I wouldn't be, if I enjoy dance for the sake of dancing, I wouldn't be flying to Florida to take right. with our coaches. I wouldn't be flying to Milwaukee to take with our coaches. I wouldn't be flying to California to compete. Yeah. I wouldn't be spending 200 bucks a lesson to work with some coaches. Right. You know, like I wouldn't be investing all this money that I don't get back. Mm-hmm. Like when you win, you are lucky if you break even like, right they just don't pay very much right so like if there's no gain from it and i'm really doing it for myself like am i really doing it for myself or am i doing it because i want to win mm. because i think winning is important yeah if i didn't care i would just dance and just compete locally and just have a good time and mm-hmm. whatever i'm just but i'm having a good time you know just i could stop competing and just do shows right you know or teach or yeah whatever. and i yeah. you know and i will always teach was the good part but like you know, like do shows and just teach and maybe try to get some coaching gigs, but it's like, no, but you want the good coaching mm-hmm. gigs. So you have to have the best profile. So you need to compete and win so that people bring you into their studio. So you can say, oh yeah, no, how good is my son? Oh, my son's getting flown in right. to Missouri to coach this, right, right, this, right, 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 right. this, this, you know, this, uh, this studio because mm-hmm. they, they like him and they want him to coach. Oh, he's, a, he's now judging for this competition. He's now judging this local event is so good for him. Like I, I, I almost am doing things to pad my resume for my parents to mm-hmm. list off to mm-hmm. other people. Um, and on the one hand that might be just 
a nature of our industry of like the only way you can kind of move up is through accolade because you you're not really competing for the money you're competing for the titles the resume so that you can market yourself as a teacher of oh you're gonna want my information i won right a judge you know a coach like you i feel like it's built into the industry a little bit yeah the dance industry of like the only way you're gonna get anywhere is with competitive success even though there are several teachers out there who are killing it in the game who don't compete professionally but they're just really good teachers right and they get accolades they're top teachers there's a whole problem that i have with that system (laughs) we won't get into that but like there's teachers that are very successful yeah but i don't think they get the same accolade that they deserve Mm -hmm. because they're not competing on the professional floor like they almost in order to get what i think they deserve they have to do that well as a teacher competing with their students and compete professionally and do well as well. So be like, oh, look at him. Just a double threat. He's a great teacher and a great professional. To be able to prove it. Right. And so it's like, I feel like our industry, unfortunately, sets us up for failure in that regard. Mm-hmm. And that there's, if you don't win, well, can you put it on your resume? Right. Mm, no. Mm. Is that going to help your teaching profile? Can you raise your rates because of it? You know, like that, unfortunately, that's just the nature of the system. So mm-hmm. I feel like in that regard, whether my parents were there or not, I yeah. was... I was in this system to begin with. Yeah. This cyclical... But you're at least you're aware of it. I feel yeah. like I feel like there's probably a lot of people in your industry that that brings them down versus right. like for you, like that's just the way it is. Right. You know. But I also think that I'm okay with it because I have a full time job. Right. And not I, my full time job is not dance. Yeah. Like I still teach. I teach like four to six lessons a week. Yeah. Not the volume I used to be doing. I don't teach full time and I, yeah. I get to I pick the students so I get to work with and and I have a great relationship with all of them um and they're they're great students and we all get along and so I think like on the one hand I'm afforded the luxury of enjoying teaching right I'm not teaching for the sake of teaching um like I don't really take very many wedding couples unless it's by referral so I'm not Mm -hmm. like I'm not like in that I'm not teaching like lessons just to kind of make rent and that's a very different position. So I think I've afforded myself the luxury of just enjoying dancing. Like the last two years have been great because I transitioned to full time. Right. Which thankfully came with a salary. Mm. And so I don't have to worry about that. Right. Necessarily. Right. So I've, the last two years, I've really enjoyed dancing more because I'm not relying on it to pay the bills. Like if I don't raise my rates, it's not going to be the end of the world. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. I'm, you know, like by success measure, like if you just look at me face value, they're like, oh, you're, you're doing pretty good. Like yeah. you're doing well. You're, you know, you're living a good life and you're happy. And and so I've enjoyed dancing more recently. Whereas when I think I was teaching before, it was like, this, this is it. But right. if, if there's this no W, work. if there's no W, how are you going to get promoted at the studio? Like, are you, you're an associate instructor. You want right. to be a staff instructor. Like, how do you get there? My students have to do well. There's more pressure on me now. Sure, I sure, have to sure. teach volume yeah. over quality because I like they just want you to hit 45 lessons. Mm-hmm. You want to be the top producer, you know, for the studio. So like a lot of that stress changed when I stopped teaching full time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what would you tell uh, a, a younger kid, maybe mm-hmm. Asian, maybe whatever, whose parents have this cultural, you know, tunnel vision yeah right i feel like that's exactly what it is yeah like, oh it is you can't go this way this way this no, way no like, there's one way so they're really struggling and i'm sure you know you struggled with this growing up but like really struggled with okay i want to make my parents happy but that doesn't make me happy so how do i 
how do you choose? How do you, how do you pick and choose? And, and what's more important, their happiness or your happiness? Yeah, there's, there's two different ways you can go about it. I think you can either chip away at it. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously not what I did. But you can chip away at it and kind of, I think that's, I don't want to say my sister did that. I think my sister could do it because of me, but you can chip away at it and be like, Hey, what about this thing? And you can kind of like go the long way. Like my sister definitely followed the tunnel. Mm. And I think now that she's older and she feels more independent, she's like, okay, I can start chipping away at kind of what I actually want to do. And so there's one way of you, you go, she went the path. Like knowing it's never too late. Right. Exactly. Okay. And, and accepting that. Right. But like she went the path that was kind of destined for her mm-hmm. and she kind of went at it and um, did what she thought she had to do. And then when she wanted to move back to Taiwan just to, to work there, mm-hmm. to try that field out, my parents were supportive because it was kind of in line of what she was doing before. So sure. it was like, great. She's followed the path. Yep. So she's slowly doing the chip away method where it's like, all right, I'm going to do what you want me to do for a little bit. And then slowly figure out I, or you do what I did rip the bandaid off and just take a hard left. Mm-hmm. And I think the first one is probably what most Asian kids end up going through because mm-hmm. they don't know that they're allowed to self discover. Mm. It's been to a certain, it's convenient to a certain degree, right? When your past laid out for you, you can just go forward. Right. There's, there's no need for self-discovery. There's a need to discover, oh, what well, makes me happy? What do I like doing? What, what are actually my hobbies? Yeah. Is this a hobby or am I doing this for my parents? Or is this, is this a hobby or is it padding my resume? Yeah. Cause I think a lot of what I did was pad my resume. Um, I started in Boy Scouts, like example, I started in Boy Scouts just to get outdoors. But then when I didn't get Eagle Scout, it was like, oof. There goes that resume What's the builder. Point? Uh, yeah. You know, can't say you're an Eagle Scout. Right. I was the one right before. I was the Life Scout. But they were like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, there's, you don't have the badge. Not good enough. Right. And yeah. so, like, out, you either have to self-discover yourself under the table, figure out what you want to do, and then just go for it. Or, you like my sister is in now, I think, you have to kind of self-discover along the way and then when you feel ready Mm. make the jump at some point and you have to and just be mentally prepared yeah because i had to i had to like i literally like sat in my room i was like how am i gonna tell him and i even remember telling him this is just to get me through a year Mm. i'm gonna study for grad school i think this is just gonna be a fun thing that i do for the summer maybe and then you know and then once we get back to the fall and i move to the new apartment we'll definitely just like it'll keep me alive and i'll still work at the bubble tea store and we'll just kind of like make it work i'm still working at lifetime fitness in the cafe like Mm -hmm. i'll make money and i'll study like i literally even framed that because i think maybe at the time that's what i thought it was going to be right but it's because I didn't realize I could make a career out of it. Right. It was just like, oh, no, this is a summer job. It's a temporary job that you're going to do to get back on the path. Right. You know, and I didn't veer from the path really at all when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Going to college helped me. Kind of make your own Yeah. And way. I think I was able to kind of see what the world had to offer. Yeah. And I was like, oh. And some people have that realization in college. Right. I have some friends that did too. And, and we are all happier because of it. Yeah. As some people go to college with the same goggles on mm-hmm. and are like, this is what I'm doing. I declared my major first semester of freshman year. Mm. I went and I was like, this is what I'm doing. And my advisor was like, are you sure? And the, Who's your advisor? I literally just picked a random name. I was like, it's him. <laughs> 
he didn't know who I was. But I was like, this is what I'm new. Yeah. Who's at who's the top of the political science department? Great. It's gonna be him. I, I think it's just a lesson in in taking responsibility for your own life. Yeah. At some point. Like I understand there's the you know, I don't understand the cultural pressure. That's obviously very foreign for me, mm-hmm. no pun intended. Yeah. But but you know, it, it I think for you, I give you so many props for going against the grain and knowing that you realized early on doing all these things that your parents really wanted you to do was not necessarily going to make you happy. Right. But it wasn't until college that you kind of like found your thing. Yeah. So I think a lot of times, you know, we're, we're, we're teenagers and we are going into college and we're like expected to kind of know what we like, right. that it's okay to not know. And right. it's okay to find it later in life. Like oh, you in fitness. Yeah. That was in the past few years. Right. You know, and, and especially when you have these cultural expectations, yeah. there is more pressure. Yeah. And there is more of this like tunnel vision. But knowing that, hey, you are you, you. And yes, your parents brought you into this world. And, and that's amazing. But like, you're the one that has to go to bed with yourself at night. Right. And you're, you're ultimately the one that creates what you think you need mm-hmm. and and you're the but you're also the one that has to figure it out you yeah. know like I think a lot of people you know like the suicide rate in Taiwan is crazy mm. a lot because of and you know in a lot of East Asian countries Japan as well really because of perceived failure right and because of failing an exam mm. not getting a promotion it's like the end of the world and you know so like i was raised with that thing of just like oh suicide in taiwan what happened didn't pass the test to get into the school he wanted because in taiwan in order to get to the high school the college you want to it's one test Mm -hmm. and how you do determines where of your preferences you get to go you don't get to choose what school you go to it's chosen for you so are you just so grateful that your parents actually moved to the states oh my god I'm yeah because I mean can you imagine you yeah. could you could not do this over there no obviously no yeah no 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 and I like it's like that's like that's where you're coming from and it's like listening to these stories of like well he went to Juilliard didn't make the top chair gone you're wow. like what yeah you know and then you know even though even though the arts are supposed to make you happy, right? The arts supposed to be creative. The arts supposed to be joy, you know, sharing and sharing joy. Mm-hmm. That's how I always thought of it. But when you make it your career because you think you have to, or because you're good at it, you know, you don't have to be successful. Success doesn't have to be something you're perfect at. Right. And I think the perception in our culture is whatever it happens to be. And for some it's sports. Mm-hmm. For some, it's for some it is music and art, mm-hmm. and for some, it's not like just academics, but like what you show you're good at at a young age, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I was actually lucky that my parents told me not to go to music school because I think I remember when I was young, and I was doing really well. I was winning titles in piano, and I was like, I want to go to Juilliard because I think that's where I need to go. Mm-hmm. And I remember my my piano teacher at the time, who was Caucasian, she only taught Asian kids. But she was Caucasian. She was like, there are other things you need to do in life. And I would not recommend going to music school. And at first I was torn. I was like, why wouldn't I get to go to music school? I'm good at it. This is my life. And she was like, there are other things you're going to be good at. 
you just don't know yet. And those words stuck with me, mm. you know? And I think that's that was part of the guiding forces. Even my parents were like, life of musician. But for them, it was practical. Right. Life of musician is hard. Right. It's weird hours. It's not the prestige. There's only so many good pianists out there that are known. There's only so, there's only one Carnegie Hall. Right. Like, you can only play it one at a time. Yeah. Like, you can't yeah. just be a resident. Yeah. You know, so I think for them, it was structural. But for my teacher, she was like, don't, like, don't. My teacher was almost trying to tell me inadvertently as a 10-year-old, don't go down one path because that's not great. Yeah. You know, and I think it's so easy for people in our culture to go down that one path that, the minute some semblance of freedom happens, mm-hmm. you almost go nuts. Like, oh my God, like the world is your oyster almost becomes like overwhelming. Right. And you don't know what to do with it. Right. So you just lash out. And that's when and that's when things can happen and good or bad. Right. You know, for some rebelling was good mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. For some it goes the exact opposite. Yeah. And it's just mental health issues and just just depression and just like what was I doing these last 18 years so you end up questioning yourself and so I think I told this um my high school brought me back because I kind of went to a unique school mm-hmm. my high school brought me back after my freshman year to like talk to prospective student freshmen yeah. and seniors um and their parents and I remember going in there being I need to be the advocate for all the kids that are like me like I I know what these other kids are going to say because I know mm-hmm. what schools they all go to. I go to the weirdest one. So I was like, I need to be an advocate for small schools. I need to be an advocate for unknown schools. I need to be an advocate for kids that actually want to do other things. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was the oldest one there. Like, I think I was a year out of college and they normally don't bring people back. But because I had such a unique career, they're like, I think we need to bring you back. So the entire time I was just like, parents, let your kids do other things. Let your kid take a class in a subject that they're not supposed to because they think it's interesting. Right. Let them explore that side of them. Let them join a club that they normally wouldn't have. Yeah. Don't tell them just to focus on studying. Yeah. Because the high school that I went to, I was like, if you go to this high school, you're probably good at studying. That's an, that's my school was literally called ready. The college preparatory school. <laughs> no name before the, the college preparatory school. We prep for oh college. So I was like, if you go to the school, you're automatically good at academics. Right. It's a given. Right. It's time to do other things. And the parents were like shocked. Like they were like the looks on their faces. They were like, why is he here? <laughs> and I'm just like, no, trust me on yeah. this one. Been there, done that. Your child will be way happier yeah. doing, yes, passing school. Yeah. But your child will be way happier if you let them even just explore a little bit. Yeah. Like you don't have to just take classes in your major because you think you have to yeah take the english class of a subject that you think is kind of cool i took one on witchcraft (laughs) with a teacher that wrote a series of werewolf romance novels i'm sure your mom was really oh yeah like twilight for werewolves like she and she went on a book tour like like i took classes just because it was fun i was like that sounds cool it was called like the dark arts i was like that sounds great sign me up yeah you know and and just having that extra perspective, like, oh, there's other things. There's other things. Because no one declares their major freshman year except me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being so open. And I do think, you know, within your culture, that's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. Not only did you go against the grain, but you're actually speaking about it, mm-hmm. which is probably like so unheard of. Right. But needs to be said, yeah. especially with what's going on in the world now and, and yeah. mentioning, um, you know, how awful the the depression levels are yeah. and, and 
Asia, especially. Yeah. I think it's good to hear from someone who, you know, has been there and done that. Yeah. And you are still very much, you don't regret anything you did. No, not at all. And sure, you might not have the most perfect relationship with your mom, but there's a lot of people out there that did exactly what their parents wanted them to do, and they still don't have a great relationship. Exactly. So yeah. you, you, you never know. You just have to do what's right for you. Yeah. And that's kind of what it comes down to. So I I encourage you to keep going, keep doing your thing, and Thanks. I support you and, and what you do. Thank and if you. we can... How can we find you? Yeah, so I'm. Um, you can catch me at Orange Theory, Emory Pointer, Shambly. I'm coach twenty lessons a week, <laughs> co- class of the week. You're not gonna not miss me. Um, and uh, or I mean, you can catch me on Instagram. What's it's your handle? At John K Chen, J O N K C H E N. It's pretty much a food blog at this point because of COVID. <laughs> there was nothing for me to blog about. So what food it is. There you go. So it's like a daily food blog, but um, I have some dance content on there. I have some fitness stuff but yeah. i'm not like i wouldn't consider myself a fitness blogger yeah um but i'm for sure an amateur food blogger but you're just a fun lifestyler right yeah like, i just, this is I, what just I enjoy i and... just i just i just i'm here to have i'm here to have a good time and i'm just here to enjoy the ride and the day that i decided that that's what i wanted to do yeah. was the day that i kind of was able to let go of not all yeah some of the baggage mm-hmm. i do enjoy the ride more mm-hmm. than i used to you still think about it a little bit, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, I'm definitely, I definitely wake up excited to go to work every day. Yeah. And I think that was a big change for me was just like, absolutely it's time to just, yeah. if you don't enjoy the ride, why do it? Right. Right. You know? And I think, you know, I think you can either hide some of the stuff that's still there mm-hmm. or for you, you're so open to talk about it. And that's huge because when we kind of push that stuff down, yeah, that's when it bubbles up. Yeah. So just being honest with that still to this day, you're still yeah. dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And, but that's okay. It doesn't mean it has to control your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm still a 31 year old searching for his parents approval. <laughs> I should have said that on my TV audition. They would have for sure kept me. They for sure would have kept you. Well, maybe they'll hear this. I didn't maybe have a good, I'm too old. Oh, well, I'll start I my missed, life. I missed the, missed the cutoff date. There'll be something else. I promise. Oh you. my God. So you think you dance for old, older pro- people? <laughs> hey, you never know. Are you calling? You never know. You email me every year and every year I have to email you back. I'm 30. <laughs> <laughs> They might have so you think you can still dance. They should. You know, that they might should. There's, You know what? We might give t- reality TV another go. There you go. There's always hope. Just for fun. Never stop dreaming. Well, no. thank you so much for Thanks your Thanks so story. much for having me. So fun. Thanks, oh my Jonathan. gosh. This episode was sponsored by Pro Vital Solutions. Make sure to visit ProVitalSolutions.com and enter six feet above at checkout to get your 5% discount. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Six Feet Above podcast. I'm your host, Megan Armstrong. Subscribe so you never miss another episode as a new episode is released every Tuesday. And if you're enjoying the series, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Follow the show on Instagram at Six Feet Above Podcast to keep the conversation going and feel free to reach out to me directly at Megstagram11. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Megan Armstrong and Denor Sapolia, edited by Jacob Smolian, and the music is by Keenan Willis.